Christmas, everybody. Hey, we're going to be throwing out a quick episode here for the end of the year. Uh, and then we'll be back in January with a couple of robot flicks. We're going to be doing Robo Chick and Deadly Friend. This episode will be discussing horror flicks set in prison, uh, primarily the movie Prison, and uh, The Chair, and a little bit about Destroyer. And that's, I mean, there's a couple others, but we didn't get around to them, so I guess just those primarily. Um, thank you for another year of great support, and here are some trailers before we hop into the episode. I don't know where I found that's a weird German trailers. There's a lot of weird German trailers out there for some reason. I don't know why. Here we go with the real trailer. experience with uh, mental problems. Say somebody sees something, only he knows it ain't there. You mean a visual hallucination? I'm saying that he sees something that looks real. Only he knows it can't be. Why is someone you know experiencing such a phenomenon? I'm just asking, Doc. This kind of thing, is it serious? No, 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 no. Possibly be you. They put rats in mazes, and then they zap them with electricity till they're totally messed up in their heads. He came to look at the wiring, and um. Oh God! What is it? It's hideous. What is it? The chair. Have you seen it? There, there is a ghost here. Everything, don't go psycho on me, Emmy. 
Hey everybody, Michael here. Curzy on the other side. Fitting one more episode in before the end of the year. And uh, kind of surprised. So we, we, uh, we did this at the last minute. Basically, I begged Curzy. <laughs> uh, so he chose prison as our main focus. And uh, I tried to find a double feature. And there's a lot of prison movies around this time. And many of them kind of horror related. And sadly, I didn't get the one that I wanted to, sh to show you. It was called Destroyer. Um, I end up finding the chair. I have a story behind the chair because I'm going to apologize now for giving you such a shitty movie to watch. You know what's actually really funny about that is that when I was in high school, I made a horror movie about chairs that kill people. All right. I had no idea. Do you still? I had no idea this was actually a thing. What? Do you still have this movie? I don't think I. Did. It was only. A, it was a fake trailer for a movie. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I still have it, but uh, I actually made it for my high school. Um, news, uh, you know, like news feed or whatever that they do. They said they needed like filler, so I said, "What if I just make a bunch of fake trailers for movies?" And they That's said, "That great. sounds great." So that was <laughs> so in the in the style of like the Grindhouse trailers, which came out around the same time. Me and my friends just made like twenty fake movie trailers, and that was one of them. I tried getting Andrew, my co-host for Video Night, to do a book where we it what like a what if if we ran our own movie studio and because uh, we're never going to get around to getting the money for movies and i'm too lazy to even write a full script so i was like what if we just write the bare bones idea of a movie and just kind of make it silly and ridiculous and and you just do a fake poster for it he's like that's a lot of work i go it's just a poster <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i guess some people just don't cut to certain ideas yeah, well, this what was great about this one is that I actually threw myself down a flight of stairs oh. uh, for the trailer. So it was, and the the best part is, so I have like my own action credit that I guess if I ever become an actor, I could, <laughs> you know, like I did some stunts. Don't worry about it. But yeah. uh, the best part about that video, I'll see if I can find it floating out there somewhere. But um, what was great about it was that. Uh, as I'm falling down the stairs, you can see someone like turn the corner about to walk down the stairs. I'm falling down, uh -huh. and then they just kind of stop and watch me. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. Like, what the hell's going on? Oh, you're filming crap. <laughs> but you're not gonna throw yourself yeah, down the it. stairs again. No, that was a one-time deal. <laughs> that was just that was a one-take deal. It's like if we don't get it this time, I'm just not doing it again. Yeah. The uh, so we chose the chair and uh, prison, but the other ones I want to talk about real quick is, uh, have you ever seen the movies House, House 2, the second story? Uh, I don't think I have. They're uh, from the guy who created Nightmare, no or uh, sorry, uh, Friday the 13th. He did a horror comedy in 86, which actually was a pretty big hit, and um, that turned into a franchise. But for some reason, part three, there's four of them. Part three is not called <laughs> House 3. There's a House 4, there is no House 3. It was sold overseas as House 3, so in America it was called The Horror Show with Brian James and Lance Henriksen, and Brian James gets electrocuted and he comes back from the dead like a Freddy Krueger kind of character. Okay, all right. That's... And then we had Shocker. Have you seen Shocker, uh, Wes Craven's film? I don't think I have, but I have seen. Uh, haven't seen many Wes Craven films. I saw Wishmaster. That was pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, that, it's, it's his, one of those where he was just paid a million dollars to slap his name on it. Uh, he didn't really make it, but... Shocker is another one where a guy gets electrocuted. He finds a way to jump through electricity. So he, he jumps into TV shows. He jumps. It's, there's a lot of these electricity things going on. I think it's because the special effect was actually uh, more realistic, you know, realistic looking and more budget friendly by the time the late 80s rolled around. Mm, interesting. And, and the last one, um, there was uh, the very tail end of all these prison movies. There's a movie called Death Warrant with Van Damme. It was written by David Goyer. 
It's not a, a straight-up horror I, movie, but the bare bones of it feel like one of those horror slasher films. Yeah, I've seen uh, like a, a thumbnail of that floating around, but I've never seen the actual movie. It's actually pretty damn good. I was surprised. The, uh, uh, the one that I wanted to show you, though, was called Destroyer, and I hope sometime down the road that we can uh, watch it. It's another one of those where the guy gets electrocuted, he finds a way of coming back from the dead. It's all the same plot. I don't know what's up with the 80s, always repeating the same things over and over. But... Mm. It fast forwards like 10 years and they're making a movie inside of a prison, like one of those cheesy like girls in prison films. And um, mm -hmm. Anthony Perkins is a director and it's got Lyle Alzado as this crazed murderer who comes back from the dead to kill the entire um, uh, cast and crew of this movie. And so there's a fun thing of, is this real? Is this not real? You guys are just messing with us. Oh crap, you're not. And then they, you know, get killed. And so it's a, it's a meta concept movie. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's just it's hard to find for some reason. I know it's, I think Scream Factory has it. I just we're cheap bastards and we find everything on you or some other streaming site. All right, so what? Okay. What made you choose Prison? Uh, I saw that I was just looking up you know some eighties forgot some forgotten eighties movies. I saw Vigo or Vigo. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm pretty sure. It's Vigo. Um, and yeah, I was and I just I was interested. Uh, to see what he was doing before he got famous, and I kind of wish I didn't pick it. You didn't like it? No, not really. It's boring. I really liked it. I mean, I liked it. I've seen it like three times now. Um, but the version I saw had the worst. I mean, this is straight from a shitty VHS. It's not the good Scream Factory yes. version. Um, so it already has a massive fog filter on it at all times. It's really dark and you know grungy, and so this copy was almost impossible. It was so blurry. Yeah, this was a really, I mean, that probably tainted uh, the viewing for me. But, it, I mean, and I'm, I'm somebody who's not really picky about uh, how a film looks, uh, as you know, because we've seen a bunch of crappy look at movies. But, I mean, this was just a, in its own stratosphere. I couldn't even make out people's faces half the time. Yeah, I'm sure the, the Blu-ray version is pristine. And, and, and uh, I, would say, I would highly just recommend watching it again sometime if you get the chance. Um, I like this movie better now than I ever have before because I actually was paying attention, like full-on, not distracted by anything. And I really like the actors, and uh, the storyline is, yes, it's repetitive, just like the other ones. There, it's all kind of the same plot, but the beats are what work in this film. It doesn't make you... Not like the chair. The chair is fucking boring. It's so boring. And this one, uh, I thought, worked pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think because the chair was significantly shorter, that I, I, it held my interest a little more. Um, but, I, yeah, I would agree. I, I think that a lot of the characters are, are better in, in prison. The... Uh, it, the problem with a lot of these prison movies, unless you're wrongly convicted, it's very hard to sympathize with any of them. Like, when they die, it's like, eh, they're villains anyway. I mean, what do I care? Yeah. But yeah, uh, that was the thing that movies have really changed, uh, that have really changed, especially with movies like Shawshank Redemption and, um, oh, what's another good one? Oh, well, uh, I, like, um, I don't know. What's it's... the one with Van Damme, not Van Damme, sorry, uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger? Uh, Escape Plan. I kind of like that one. Oh, I never saw that one. Um, but yeah, the, the whole, uh, innocent people in prison, or at least the, the way that the prison uh, system is structured in the U S I think people are starting to catch on a little more, yeah. um, about that, that there are definitely a lot of flaws and the people kind of get left behind. So I think people are, are ready for movies like this now, but maybe people are not, not so much, you know, willing to sympathize with, uh, villainous type characters. Well, I think that, uh, cr uh, Crimson... I'm sorry, no, I can't think for some reason. Uh, Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption, you know, same director, same guy uh, behind the scenes, um, mm -hmm. did a lot for making them sympathetic, which is why I think films now that are set in prison change. 
I, I would love it if just once they could do one without the, uh, oh, that's the young kid. That's the big guy. Oh, clearly someone's getting rich. Great. Someone's going to be a bitch. Yeah. So tired of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like these early these earlier ones seemed to try to, to make the characters fun rather than sympathetic in a way. Where it's like, well, they're, they're clearly they're in prison for a reason. So at least let's just try to make them charismatic. So each one has a very distinct character archetype, but yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really work as well for me. I think I kind of I think I've just seen these so many times that I'm just kind of a little bored. Well, the chair is different than prison. I'm still not 100 certain on how they chose the criminals in prison. It just seems like it was a generic idea. That's one thing that bothered me because I'm like, why is that kid and that guy who just you know Viggo Mortensen's character just you know was a card stealer you know a car thief. But then some of them seem like they're hardcore murders. What are they mixing these two up? Because it doesn't seem like it's like uh, prisons work in certain classes, certain wings. You know, they don't put uh, serial killers with guys who stole something from a store. You know, like, oh, you walked out with a video game. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way that it treats this. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not really going for realism. It's about a spirit of a guy who was killed That's in an electric chair. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the special hey, was, So let's talk about the. I'm kind of surprised at how expensive it was. I looked it up. It was a $4 million movie, and I just don't see it. I don't. Yeah, I don't buy that. There had to be – either like the director or producers were funneling money somewhere, but it certainly wasn't the movie. Actually, uh, Charles Band, the guy who runs um, Empire Pictures, who would eventually go on to do Full Moon Pictures, got in deep shit in the early 90s because he had a distribution deal with Paramount. And Paramount started questioning, like, you know – we're paying half this budget, you know, for the video rights. This doesn't look like a million dollar movie. This, we just gave him $500,000 and I think we paid for the entire budget. And eventually discovered that he was like adding on to everything, padding the budgets and then pocketing the extra cash from Paramount. Yeah, I can see that. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case for this movie. What were you going to say before I rudely interrupted? I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I think there's a slight delay. But uh, I was just saying that I think you were just commenting on uh, the special effects of the movie. I was going to say, so let's talk about the plot of the movie, because I think we've gone on. I don't think we've even talked about the movie yet. No. Uh, this is uh, – prison is basically reopened, and, it's, it, and this is the same plot almost to the chair. It's like a reopened prison that had a, a riot, and, and somebody innocent was killed, or um, – you know, just uh, it was inhabited by a spirit who's full of rage and wants to take it out on anybody around him. I never understood that though. If you got one goal, like this guy killed me, uh, why don't you just go kill him? And the movie's like 15 minutes long. You're done. Also, if you were if you were in prison and you became a ghost, why would you stay in prison for like 20 years as a ghost? Just leave, man. You can go anywhere. What did he do the entire time? Like waiting for it to reopen? Yeah. It's like pfft, nothing on TV. No one. I guess the place. Yeah. Why don't you? You could go to his house and haunt his house. That would be worse. That would be better, actually. You think he would haunt tons of different places. I didn't know how ghosts work. But it seems like whenever you hear that story, they're like, well, they died here. And they stayed here. I'm like, can't they – are they tied to the house? Are they, what, what are the rules? I mean, <laughs> is there a binding spell? Yeah, that's, that a, <laughs> that's a terrible – that's a terrible afterlife. I can't imagine if I died in this house and, like, my apartment had to stay here forever. That would be the worst thing. You can go to any movie you want to for free. Just sneak right in. You're good. No one's going to bother you. That's one bonus, and you get out of the house. I, I would be mm-hmm. – that, that's the – you know what? Right now, I, I think I want that kind of time. I think I'll just go be a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just go do whatever you want. Just, I, I, yeah, I think the whole idea of, like, being stuck somewhere is kind of silly. Or, you know what? Maybe maybe he could go anywhere, and then when the prison opened up, he, re- he remembered 
Like, oh yeah, that's the guy that killed me. Or <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was like, for a while, he was Phantom of the Strip Club. I get to see boobies and not pay for it. What? Someone stepped on my grave? Damn it. Or you could just, like, phase yourself through a guy that's getting a lap dance, and it's kind of like you're getting one, so yeah. Yeah. There's got to be better stuff. I feel like these ghost stories are just not testing the levels. It's like, uh, Ghostbusters, the, the ghosts went everywhere they wanted to. I guess it depends on the budget. If it's a low-budget movie, you're stuck in a house <laughs> or that prison, that mm-hmm. one location. Yeah, okay, I think we I think we cracked this one. Yeah, it's all budget oriented. That's what's killing the story. Because <laughs> Shocker, <laughs> Shocker is a legitimate studio film from Universal Studios. I think it costs like nine million dollars, and therefore the ghost can go anywhere he wants. The lower the budget, the more restricted you are. Yeah, unless it's an enchanted object like the mirror in Oculus, which I think I don't know if we should talk about I uh, sometime s- because I think. It's a legitimately good movie. I don't think it's really, you know, like trash cinema level, but I think it's an excellent movie. Yeah, I have um, a problem with all the ghost movies. I'm burnt out on them. I I really enjoyed The Conjuring, and I think that might be the only one I've seen. I said I'm burnt out, but I think it's just the idea that I'm burnt out. Like, oh, another one? Another one? Shit, Annabelle, what? Oh, no. Yeah, ghost movies just kind of follow the same plot, and it's just kind of boring. Like, they start out as weak and then get stronger for some reason. Yeah. I never really got into it, but there there are some that break the mold. It's like The Pact is a really good one. It kind of combines ghost story with um, real monsters, like you know human beings um, being the monsters in the movie. Okay. Um, that that has such a twist in that movie that legitimately frightened me, and it's been a long time since that's happened. The uh, the director of Prison would end up doing Nightmare on Elm Street four after this. Yeah, what the fuck? The worst one too. <laughs> yeah, and yet his career. Flourish. Think about this. He goes from Prison, which was barely released, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which is uh, a terrible movie, even though it was a huge hit. Uh, then he goes to do Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which is a big-budget, mainstream trash. That is, that's um, an action movie starring Andrew Dice Clay. Oh. And then he gets Die Hard 2, and then his career was cemented for like the next decade. But he has tons of huge flops. Uh, Cutthroat Island, um, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, my God. God. He did have that really shitty Exorcist. You remember when uh, Paul Schrader directed the prequel to Exorcist called Dominion? But then he was fired yeah. because it was too slow, and they hired Rennie Harlan to make it better and spent another $60 million, and it was still a giant piece of shit? <laughs> See, that, like, that's how I view the world uh, as I'm getting older. I don't, I'm, whatever, I'm like 25. I'm, I'm young as hell. But, you know, just I, I, feel, I can feel my age uh, every little bit. Because, like, I, you know, I see these things that just happen and just kind of makes me a bitter person. And one of the things is just the idea of failing upwards. Yeah, it's kind it's of like how bizarre. I view the world. I, okay, so this is, I'm going to go through some more films real quickly. So he went from Deep Blue Sea to Driven to Mindhunter to Exorcist the Beginning, <laughs> The Covenant, The Cleaner, 12 Rounds, Devil's Pass, The Legend of Hercules, Skip Trace. The dude hasn't had a hit in forever, and yet for some reason every two years he has a big movie coming out. What the hell? I know. You know like when people say that showing up is half of it? No, showing up is like 90% of success. As long as you got a yes, man. There's some really great directors out there that can't get a film off the ground. I don't understand it. It's, it's mind-boggling. I know. There are people like him who can just like crank out shit for his entire life and still find steady work. And there's people like Denny Villeneuve, who just directed Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. 
But like literally every single movie he's made has been one of the best movies I've ever seen. He did Sicario, Arrival, Enemy, uh, Incendies. Like everything this man touches turns to gold. And he's yeah, doing Dune uh, next. Prisoners. Uh, um, I, I, amazing. Just absolutely amazing film. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Prisoners. Yeah, Danny Villeneuve. Again, uh, everything he touches turns to gold. And he is having – and he's been having trouble like getting a foothold in, in U.S. cinema because no. people just don't – they, people don't really like his uh, slow, daunting, suspenseful-type movies. Well, one of my favorite directors of all time is Vincenzo Natali, and he's only done maybe four movies, but it's torture to get any of them made, and he always always has to do, uh, do them in Canada. Uh, he's known for doing Cube, but he did three or four movies after that that are like really mind-boggling, challenging films. Uh, what was that one he said, Cube? Cube is his first movie that really got known. He did... Um, Cypher oh, and cute. nothing, and he did Splice. I think that was the last film he did was Splice. Now he just does shitty just TV, just generic shows on TV. He said Cube was the first one. That's the one people are trapped inside that giant cube, and like yeah. they go to room to room, and it's like a different trap. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one was a, that was an amazing movie. Yeah, and in that guy, he just struggles. He gets oh, or what about the guy? Did you ever see Brotherhood of the Wolf? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, uh, the I'm trying to remember the name of the director, but that guy, did, oh, Christoph Gans. Um, he did Silent Hill. That's like his only hit movie. But he he does like one movie like every decade. It, he it, it's so insanely hard for him to get someone to pay for his movies. Yet every time I watch one, it's amazing and unique. And he got Rennie Harlan barfing out films like. Oh, <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's not fair. Sometimes yeah, it's, it's not, not fair. It's not at all. Uh, real quickly, let's talk about our second movie. Uh, the Chair is notorious with my friends from high school. Uh, we became huge fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000 around late 91, early 92. And we decided that we were going to have parties where we purposely chose trashy, stupid movies. And uh, the very first party we had was strictly just straight off television. We watched Evil Dead and I think um, one of the Halloweens. But this time we, we went to the store and we went to pick these movies. And we got... Uh, Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. For some reason, we started at part four. I have no idea why. <laughs> that seems kind of uh, stupid now, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. What the hell are we thinking? I don't, I don't know. Um, another one was a alien ripoff with Rudger Hauer called Split Seconds. And uh, the last one was The Chair. And it became so notorious for years that I remember in college one time, we're all in this room, like, hanging out. And uh, we're like, so what's the worst movie you've ever seen? What's the worst movie you've ever seen? And then this one girl who we had never, like, was not part of the group, we hung out with her for the first time, she goes, oh, we watched this shitty movie last week called The Chair. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was so obscure. It's, it's a really rare movie. It's, I don't even know how any of us found it. I'm done. Hello? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done talking. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. It sounded like you just cut off. No, I just kind of screamed and I just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> just, that just, you just had to get it out. Just had to yeah. get it. Well, I think it's funny is that for years we did do that. We purposely chose trashy movies. And then somewhere along the way, we just started renting like whatever we thought was cool. And I don't know why. we Maybe because we saw too many terrible movies or we exhausted all the terrible movies in the, uh, the small town that I lived in. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I have a friend that I still I still do that with. Just every few months or so, it comes over and just watches three or four movies. Some good, some bad. Like, we just watched Wild at Heart and wow. A Year of the Dragon. How would you feel about that? Wild at Heart? I don't get it. 
that movie gets un that gets that movie gets unreal praise, and I've looked it up for hours trying to figure out why, and I don't I still can't get an answer. I don't understand David Lynch, like none of it. I've watched every single one of his movies because I have a friend who bugs the shit out of me about watching them, and I just don't understand any of it. And, I, and he wants to watch Twin Peaks, and I just can't bring myself around to doing it. No, I mean I can. I, I like the first season of Twin Peaks, and I like Blue Velvet. And that's it. I haven't seen another movie of his that I genuinely like. And uh, Year of the Dragon, that's the one with the Mickey Rourke, right? Takes on the Yakuza oh, yeah. or something? Uh, the, I think the Triad. Triad, okay. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I remember that was from Michael Cimino, who had a huge in, uh, flop. Uh, he's notorious for Heaven's Gate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he also did some good movies, didn't he? Well, what was the one that he that was that was pretty good? Well, everybody talk, talks about Deer Hunter, but he, his very first yes. movie is my favorite Clint Eastwood movie of all time. Um, not that I have a huge list of Clint Eastwood movies that I love. Um, they haven't aged well. Uh, it's called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. It's with him and Jeff Bridges, and they're going to uh, rob a bank out in the middle of nowhere. And it's brilliant. And it's got one of the best endings, like this heartbreaking, like strange ending. And uh, no one ever talks about that movie. Oh, I, I, I really want to see that now. It's great. But uh, Year of the Dragon, I don't, I don't get it either. I had to stop halfway through. I just, I, I, I think that... The main character is so irredeemable uh, that I can't stand it. Oh, yeah. Well, Mickey Rourke in general made a lot of – he was like a, a, a thing for a while, and I didn't – I just never understood why. I watched most of those movies, and I'm like, I don't get it. The only one I haven't seen that everybody talks about is Angel Heart. For some reason, I just haven't got around to watching it. Angel Heart. I don't think I know that one. That's the one where Robert De Niro is basically Satan, and he's a detective in New Orleans or something like that. I don't know much about it, but it has something to do with the occult, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, we're, we segued off again, but, uh, the chair, um, that, that is a, a very, both these movies feel like they're shot on no budget in another country. Like it has that weird feeling of Eastern European. Like we found something in Romania <laughs> to film at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it ha we both have a good cast. Uh, I would say prison has a more notorious cast because most of them went on to do some better stuff. Um, the chair, uh, the only thing I remember is that it has Evil Eddie from Fright Night in 976 Evil and Trini Alvarado, who's the main female in The Frighteners. Uh, what about the, the warden? I mean, he's a, isn't he a pretty popular character actor? I see him a Wasn't lot. He... I think he's from the Jeffersons. Paul Benedict is his name, but he always looks like the bad guy from Frosty the Snowman. Wasn't he the villain, uh, or, um, uh, yeah, the, sort of the, like, the main bad guy in L.A. Confidential? No, the police chief. I, I think he was dead by then. I'll have to look this up, but um, I'm not sure. Oh, no, no, no. You're thinking James Cromwell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Paul Benedict, I'm pretty sure, they, was gone by then. Um, oh, they, they, they just look and sound so similar. They do, actually. Uh, there's not a lot of action sequences or special effects in the chair. It's more of a slow burn, but what the chair has that prison doesn't is a cohesive reason for all of them to be together. They're all kind of like mental patients or, or some sort of emotional problems. They're not technically criminals, right? Yeah, they, I think there was there was varying degrees of things that they've done, but the point, I believe, was they were going through an experimental uh, rehabilitation program. Yeah, so you kind of understand why they're together. And, and this movie has less of a body count. It doesn't seem to be the ghost just you know wreaking havoc on whoever is alone, you know? the way prison is um mm -hmm. but it does make it a slower watch i think definitely yeah it was it uh, so i think this movie is about a half hour shorter 
than prison, but it feels about twice as long. Well, the version that I found, the only version I could find that wasn't in another language um, was like a truncated version. I'm pretty sure that it was edited like at least 20 minutes. Oh, okay. So imagine <laughs> yeah, that the, the version boring footage added. <laughs> yeah, the version you gave me was only an hour long. Yeah, you're just be grateful. That was only an hour. Yeah, thank God, because I don't... I, even just that hour, I don't really feel like there was anything missing. I feel like when we do the double features where you pick one and I pick another, I always feel like I'm choosing the one that's lesser than. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got you uh, that you you've had more of a history with some of the with with uh, some real some real stinkers. So yeah. you got you got me on that. I kind I'm more in the I'm more I'm a bit further. Uh, I'm another generation, so I. I I've only seen the ones that sort of come to the surface. Well, I had a collection of about 10,000 VHS tapes, and we had to check them to make sure that they were good before they were sold. So uh, that's a lot of the reason why I've seen a lot of shit, because the good stuff was already on DVD, and therefore the rare stuff tend to be garbage. Um, but I just that discovered on Amazon that they bought a massive, massive catalog from this Italian distributor. And Italian movies from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s were always extremely trashy rip-offs of American films. And I've been going through a lot of them, and i got to tell you, I'm regretting quite a few of them. <laughs> I had no idea there's so many Rambo rip-offs. There's so many missing in action and Rambo rip-offs. It's mind-boggling. And they all seem to have Donald Pleasance in them for some reason. <laughs> And I think the Turkey is notorious for doing that too. Oh yeah, they're t oh the Turkish Rambo, the Turkish Star Wars. Those are insane. Mm -hmm. I, I would and do strangely those. enough. I would do those, but it'd be too hard to explain the gags. Mm -hmm. And weird enough, the Turkish Star Wars uh, actually created thing. I don't even know if George Lucas saw them or whoever was making the other Star Wars movies. But like the 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 last scene or like the last big fight with Darth Vader uh, in. Uh, the Star Destroyer or whatever in the sixth or in not the sixth, but in Return of the Jedi um, has like that when they're standing by the wind, that huge window uh -huh. uh, and it's kind of their cast in shadow and you see their lightsabers. That was actually done in the Turkish Star Wars. No kidding. I've only seen. Yeah. So it's almost. I might have to see. Yeah. It's kind of, it's weird. It's like this cycle of like them stealing uh, from Star Wars and then Star Wars stealing from Turkish Star Wars. <laughs> Now they're just stealing our money every single Christmas with a new movie. I'm actually bored now with uh, Star Wars. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm bored of the idea that there's another Star Wars movie. When the movies come out, I'm like, what's this Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman? You know what? That's actually more interesting because it's completely <laughs> different than everything else. I'm the same way. Recent Because, uh, yeah, the new Star Wars was coming out, and I'm completely indifferent at this point. Um, I just, I, I just need, a cl I need a palate cleanser. Like, I'm done with superhero movies. I'm done with Star Wars. I'm done with all the nerd culture bullshit. So uh, my girlfriend and I went to go see Shape of Water because I was like, I'll watch a woman fuck a fish. I don't care. <laughs> well, that's please. still kind of nerd culture, though. That's basically Guillermo del Toro's love letter to Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Well, it, it was different. It was it was something that, you know, is not a basic, stupid, like, Thor 3 that's or another Star Wars. I just want to see something new. I will say this. The quality control in the Marvel movies has been astounding. Whereas DC's apparently just fucking around. I don't. I mean, it feels like they're all test runs, except for Wonder Woman. It's like if we got two hundred million dollars to burn, eh? Send some guys out on the weekend, just make something, whatever. Yeah, that's like, that's how I feel too. As but I mean, like the, the I actually kind of like that though. I like the the testing every like testing things. It, in in a weird way, I respect it because um, like Wonder Woman was one of those rare ones where it actually worked, where yeah. some of their ideas 
actually made it, uh, that doesn't land all the time. But with Marvel, it just feels so calculated that it's just boring now. Well, that's my problem with trashy movies now. Somebody really wants me to do an episode about Wolf Cop, especially since the sequel's out now. And I'm like, but yeah, but that's on purpose. That's a purposely trashy movie. Therefore, it knows. It's winking at the screen. That's not as much fun. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. That That's why um, – oh, man. There, there's a couple movies I wanted to suggest, but they, they were just they, – um, what was that one? Kung Fu Killer? I don't know. It was just ones that, like, already knew that it was stupid and just, you know, trying to be silly, like – well, what was it? Like, one of the characters was Kung Fu Hitler. Like, they were clearly trying to make a bad movie, oh, trying to make it a joke, about. but that's just what not fun. What the hell is called? Um, it, was, it started off as a short film on YouTube. I know what you're talking about, but um, I thought you were talking about Kung yeah. Pao, Enter the Fist. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's more of a parody. Yeah. All right. So I think we've hit the end of this episode. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. Get your T-shirts there, and we're going to try to get some T-shirts made for Trash Cinema. And um, thank you, Kersey, again for another great episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, January, Robo Chick and Deadly Friend, and then we'll try to figure out what we want to do after that. All right, sounds good. Hey, have a good night, everybody. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of Trash Cinema. This was supposed to be the season finale, but I had other episodes that have gotten delayed, so I haven't been able to set it up in the proper way. So this won't be the season finale, but I'm sure it'll kick ass like it always does. Um, we're going to be discussing Waterworld and Postman. I'm a huge fan of Kevin Costner, even though every movie he does seems to be three and a half hours long. Uh, while Waterworld has found a cult following and, and I would say gained more respect over the years, Postman has always been completely ignored over the last 20 years. And I thought it was a good thing that we discussed this. My uh, guest will be Kent Hill returning to the show. Hopefully no audio problems like the last time. Seriously, guys, sorry about that. I didn't know what to do with that episode. Um, I didn't want to ditch it, but I, I just wanted to put it out there so people heard it. So it wasn't like Kent wasted his time. But you could see there was issues. Uh, so he's returning to the show. Waterworld is one of his favorite movies. He's very excited to discuss this. So uh, before we jump into discussion, I'll be playing a couple of trailers from these movies. So 
Not the season finale, because I realize I'm very behind on episodes. This was intended to be the last one of the season, but I got other people dragging their feet. But Kent's always ready to go. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, especially to what's that? Especially to the. Oh yeah. Especially to the. Yeah, this episode's important to us because I have been championing World, uh, Waterworld for like I don't what is it now? Twenty two years. And uh, Postman for 20, and I can't believe these movies are still so highly underrated. Yeah, it's a shame. Do you think it's the cost of Waterworld and Postman that is the distracting factor? Like, they're not even paying attention to the quality? I think that when these films came out, there was so much uh, negative press that, that led in to their release. I mean, Waterworld, there was so much. I mean, you... You knew you knew a lot about that movie. I mean, the internet was still young then, but I mean, there was a lot of print media talking about this massive bloated epic that was going to eventually land in cinemas, and it was so um, there was almost like a cloud of doom, <laughs> you know, uh, around it, and everyone was like, okay, um, you know, unfortunately. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know any of that. I didn't hadn't didn't read any of it at the time. Um, so the first time uh, I saw Waterworld uh, in the cinema, I thought it was great. I mean, uh, it was sold as Mad Max on water, and um, and that's that's kind of you know what it is. Um, and I just thought, wow. I just thought, you know, I thought it was visually impressive, uh, even though I'm. I'm I'm a big proponent of like when people throw out, you know, the, the photography was beautiful first. <laughs> it's kind of like the problem. Yeah. It's kind of like the problem. Like, I've come under scrutiny among my uh, uh, learned colleagues in uh, reviewing um, the new Blade Runner film because I, I basically uh, didn't drink the Kool Aid and say, you know, it was 
it was uh, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, certainly visually spectacular, sure, but uh, but but not much else. Yeah, I I am one of those people that thinks the first one is beautiful, but I almost fall asleep every single time. I'm like, it's an interesting story, but damn. Which is ironic yeah. since I will watch the Total Recall TV show, and if you've ever seen it, it is basically Blade Runner as a series. Yeah, and um, and I just like um, and and like someone commented on one of my reviews saying, "Oh, because I said that I came in late." Now it was only a few minutes, right? I'm not saying I came in halfway through the movie, and yes, I did doze off twice, but it was only like <laughs> micro sleep. It wasn't like I didn't fall asleep and then wake up, you know. Um, maybe I should have made that clear in the review, but, um, yeah, I did, I did doze off because some parts were very languid, I thought. Um, and yes, I, I missed a little bit of the start, but, um, I, I don't think that that really changes the experience. Yes, I will probably watch it again. Um, because, uh, like another film, uh, of, of, of similar, uh, the similar circumstances, uh, 12 Monkeys. First time I saw 12 Monkeys, I was really bored and shit off and came in late. I didn't enjoy the movie. Um, subsequently, I, I really enjoy 12 Monkeys. I've watched it many times since and, and really like it now. So um, I think I think it really is a film. It's one of those films you have to watch probably more than once um, to, to, to garner any sort of appreciation, if, if indeed there is appreciation to be garnered there. Um but it's a, it's like like I've been saying um, a lot. Uh, it took many years. It took twenty years for for Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, to be lauded for the the uh, astounding effort in cinema that it is. Um, this film may take as long. You know, I mean, time is the ultimate critic. In in twenty years, will we be talking about? Blade Runner 2040, not the same way we talked about Blade Runner 20 years after the fact. Who knows? Do you think that Waterworld will eventually... I feel like there's a strong cult following for it, but I have yet to hear any pieces that have like stood up to defend it. Um, do you think it's because of the genre itself? Most post-apocalyptic movies are kind of frowned on? Uh I do, I do. There is a massive cult following for Waterworld. Unfortunately, they're not very vocal. Um, I, I really felt like given the amount of material that there exists behind the scenes, I, I often feel like it would make a great documentary. I, I, I've often toyed with the prospect of trying to crowdfund some sort of documentary uh, and, and get as much behind the scenes of Blade Runner as I can. It's unfortunate that Dennis Hopper has now passed away. But Kevin is still with us, and Kevin has a lot to answer for um, <laughs> as far as um, the budgetary blowouts on this film. Um, and if you've read anything about uh, the movie, uh, there's countless reports. Uh, one of the more ridiculous ones was a um, supposedly a $40,000 a day yacht, Whoa. which would ferry... Which would which would ferry him exactly a few hundred yards out from the coastline to the set daily. Um, you know, so, you know, I mean, he was, um, he, I mean, you've got to remember, he's a man who's come off Dances with Wolves. He's got a couple of Oscars now. Um, he's generally regarded as, like, one of the hot guys in Hollywood um, as far as not just for looks but for uh, but for his status. Um so he's he's coming off. He's got quite quite a big ego. He he had come off um, 
princes with the uh, sorry prince of thieves uh, working with Kevin Reynolds who would eventually come on to direct Waterworld as well. Um, theirs is a shaky relationship. Like a lot of people thought they were very good friends. They did not have a good time together working on Prince of Thieves. Um, they subsequently had a, another falling out producing a film called Rapa Nui. I remember that in one. 19, yeah. In 1904, they, they were producing partners on that and that did not go well and went over budget and was a, very much a, very much a, a disaster for both of them. So coming into Waterworld, um, they were already sort of on tender hooks. The pair of them, um, Kevin Reynolds, famously once said, "You know, Kevin Costner from now on should simply direct his own movies because you know he was at that point just sick of, of Kevin basically telling the two Kevins telling you know that Kevin telling that Kevin what to do." Um, you know, because by the time Kevin Reynolds has basically proven himself a, a, a capable director of uh, big action movies, so he didn't really need, even though one of them had an Oscar for directing, um, <laughs> one of them directed a, a long, sort of rather lengthy epic. The other one was a very capable director as far as summer action movies, which Dances of Wolves is not a... a you know, he wanted an Oscar for directing that, but that is not like a summer action movie. That's more of a, you know, that's your that's your you know your your large historical epic type thing. Um, have you ever so seen, Reynolds was? A, have you ever seen The Beast, sorry? the one that he did with Jason Patrick right before Robin Hood? Yes. See, yes. that shows right yes. there that he had the ability to make these tightly budgeted. Uh, satisfying films even though the beast itself was not a hit because it's a hard subject matter to sell but you can see he's the reason why Waterworld is going to get done but you like you said there were disasters in many ways like communication between the director and the actor uh there was actually i think a huge storm that destroyed the set i heard rumors that there was digital uh uh hair put back on kevin costner's head (laughs) i heard ridiculous stuff yeah totally his hair was um his hair apparently was already thinning but he was very self-conscious about that. And, uh, yeah, so that, that added to the budget, getting Kevin's uh, hair, um, <laughs> uh, you know, respectable, or at least re- respectable enough for him to want to do it, um, or want to appear on camera anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, initially this film was going to be very, very cheap, um, under $10 million dollars. Uh, you know, and it was it was originally developed by Roger Corman, um, who met this this young uh, writer uh, named Peter Rader, who I've been trying to get a hold of, but I I, I think he might be water welded out, so he might <laughs> want to talk about it. Maybe. Um, but yeah, he came to like a lot of you know the classic story. He came to Hollywood and uh, met up with um, Corman and another producer. Um, called Brad, uh, Brad Crevoy, his name was, uh, who worked for New Horizons, the New Horizons Film Factory, which was run then by Corman. And um, they basically got together. And, uh, of course, during this time, The Road Warrior was um, very popular. And Corman was basically saying, you know, oh, let's have another, let's, let's see if we can, we can do our version the, you know, a Corman version of this post-apocalyptic genre, which everyone seems to like. 
So Rader went away and uh, started flushing out story ideas, and he came up with, instead of a, a death waste, uh, he said, what about a mostly water-covered planet, you know, or, or, you know, that type of thing. And the movie was, uh, <laughs> there's a famous uh, quote when they took this, the scenario back to Corman, and they suggested that they could do that for, for his type of budget, which was, you know, possibly under a million dollars if possible. Roger Corman laughed and said, are you out of your mind? This movie will cost $5 million. <laughs> Five. What a cheapskate. <laughs> so, in contrast to the event, no one really knows the eventual budget that water. I mean, because um, you know, while they might say like it was 150 or whatever, we, we, we still don't know exactly how much they spent on advertising because you've always got to factor that in. So it might have been 150 million plus 20 plus 30 plus 40. Who knows? Uh, that they that the studio put in for advertising. So that's that's a that's a big chunk of change in the nineties, you know, because we're going to remember we're still talking about the nineties here. We haven't yet crossed over into the twenty first century, and uh, that was a that was a big chunk of uh, change um, because you know while while there's a lot of um, crap thrown at this movie, you've got to remember that's pretty when you're watching the movie that's all pretty much except for a few. Uh, visual effects shots here and there, that's pretty much real for real. Those people are out there on the water. That eight-toll set at the beginning is a real set. That's the set that sunk. That's the set that cost, I don't know, uh, you know $100,000 to refloat it. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's, it's a massive, massive film, and it's all real for real. You've got Dean Semler, who, who photographed uh, Mad Max, uh, as the director of photography, um, you know, and dealing with all the problems of shooting on water. I'm pretty sure you've heard many, many stories um, in researching various films. They say, man, shoot, don't shoot on the ocean. I mean, Jaws, <clears throat> of course, is the most famous one, uh, but there are heaps of movies. Like, I remember listening to it with Phil Noyce, who made uh, A Dead Calm, and he said it was like, oh, every day was like a struggle to get shots because he said, you set up a shot with, like, a boat and a rowboat, and he said, okay, and everything's ready to go, and by the time you're ready to go, the boats, one boat's drifted sideways, the other one's now had a shot, and then they have to try and realign the things. So you can only imagine shooting whole film at sea, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, what, what was it, Pirates just... with uh, Walter Matthau was supposed to be $15 million and bloated to, like, 40 because it was just covered with disaster the entire production because of... Like you said, shooting on water is so difficult. If Roger Corman had done it, I guarantee you would have shot it on a lake or a pond or something. Water lake. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and just, you know, very creatively sort of cut, you know. you know, and there's, there's heaps of ways you can trick people thinking you're out, you know, at sea with some clever editing. I mean, there'll be obviously, the, there'd be, there would have been a more sort of great sort of Chuckleworth campy nature to it because, you know, at one point... You know, the water's very still because they're actually on a lake or a pool or something. <laughs> and then there'd be, be cutaways to, like, the rough ocean or something like that to, to give us the uh, the idea that we're out at, uh, you know, in the depths of the ocean there. But, um, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, this you, you've got people often forget that um, Fish Star or Kevin's Gate or, <laughs> or all the other, uh, you know, names that are thrown at this movie – um, 
you know, it, it really is visually impressive. Um, There's stuff in this I've never yeah. seen before. The underwater sequence is probably the most costly of all of the stuff you see in it when they're you know when they're swimming down to see the cities that have been covered. Um, this is something totally. even to this day you've still never seen. I'm hoping Aquaman can finally uh, bring about that concept, the underwater world, and, and make it filmed in a way that it's believable. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I have I have such a warm you know, beginning and, and, and constant visually like experience of, of watching Waterworld. I've never had a negative, I never started with a negative opinion. So maybe that's, that's part of why I love it so much, but it's, um, because, you know, I saw it, I saw it when it first came out. I thought it was great. I mean, how many movies begin with a dude passing (laughs) into a cup? (laughs) <laughs> and, and then he, and then he pumps it, and then he drinks it, and you know, <laughs> I mean, come on, I mean, you don't, you don't see that too often. You don't see like, you know, I mean, could you imagine like Taken starting that way, like Liam <laughs> Neeson? He's like, yeah, he's like, man, I'm thirsty, and I've been hiding under this, you know, <laughs> or you know, you, you know, I mean, even a survival movie like Rambo, you can imagine like, you know, Sly so thirsty, you know, he you know, pisses into his hand and has a drink or something like that. But, um, you know, I mean, that's a great opening. Like, dude, taking a leak. You can only imagine, like, reading that script. You know, a man takes a leak, right? (laughs) Next minute, he siphons it through some, you know, some, uh, you know, retrofitted type of filter system, and then he, he... he gets the pee back, and it's it's now it's uh, it's drinkable. And not only that, does he, he waters his little plant with it? You think why didn't he just piss in the pot plant? You know, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, one for you, one for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's I I, I love it. This the the negativity is purely based on on money. Uh, when you when you when you scrape it all away, it's all about how much things cost, um, all the extravagances and the fighting between the two heavens. Um, at the end of the day, you're watching a, a large scale uh, action epic, purely shot on the ocean. It's it's like I said, it's mostly all real for real, except for Kevin's hair and that giant fish thing that he got, which is still awesome. I gotta tell you, monster that he catches. Yeah, even today, that fish looks amazing. Yeah. And, of course, like you said, the big uh, sequence where he takes her, like, to show her the cities underneath the the water and um, and all that type of thing. But um, have you seen the long version? Have you seen the three-hour version? Yep, and I enjoy every single stinking minute of it. I can, I'm like, could you get a four-hour version together, too? I'm, I'm good. We can go for a whole miniseries here. Yeah. I, I thought it would when I heard about it I mean I know it's just like a uh, you know it's like the, the they're talking about that they're re-releasing the the longer Superman the uh, the TV version of, of Superman which is a lot longer than the theatrical version but um, yeah I, I, I thought it was great and I liked the idea that um, when when the camera pulls away there's that plaque and they're really at the top of Mount Everest for dry land and all that sort of stuff um you know, I thought that was, um, you know, it only, it only added to it. I was like, oh, this is so great. You know, I'd love to, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, it, it, it probably happens more over there, but they're starting to over here, like, bring movies back 
to the cinema, like classic movies. Yeah, it's a and huge they thing done, now. They haven't done Waterworld yet, but oh, geez, I would love to. If I had some more pull in the industry, I would totally get a screening together and get the surviving cast members back. Get Kevin, get Janine, get the the the, the actor. I forget the actor who played the little girl back. Uh, unfortunately, Dennis and Michael Jetta are dead. Um, so is that guy who played one of the... Oh, I forget his name. He was in a few movies. Um, oh, he's one of the guys that stopped Kevin in the beginning. He says, when the elders say so, you can leave. Oh, right, um, yeah. He's, um, God, he's I can't dead. remember his name. Yeah, he's gone too. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he's dead as well. It's a shame. But, um, yeah, and probably some of the older... Like, uh, the older uh, elders there. But, I mean, um, that, was, that was so impressive. That was, I mean... And and I think it's I think it's really inventive. Like you think about you think about the stuff that would be highly prized in a world that's covered with water. I mean, a lot of people just laugh. They go, "Oh, it's it's dirt," and everyone's like, "Oh, oh wow, right." My, my favorite but line think is about it. Like, paper. He's got paper. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, paper," and um, <laughs> you know, it's um, oh, what was funny? Oh, I read. I, I, I read something the other day, and, and I thought about it for, for the for the podcast here. When they're talking about how paper was like a massive commodity in Waterworld, and someone actually wrote something really intelligent, and they said, "But the the smokers they smoke a lot of cigarettes, right? The cigarette paper, like if if paper was such a huge commodity, why were they keeping the cigarettes and peeling the paper off? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know." And, 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 you know, and pawning the, the cigarette paper, um, <laughs> you know, uh, which I thought was, was kind of clever because you think about what, what's, you know, what's good hard currency uh, in Waterworld. Obviously, dirt makes you makes you like a real player. Um, Bullets. You know, paper, paper's also good, you know. Um, you know, oh, well, I mean, really anything. I mean, he's got crayons. He's got... Uh, He's got reflect. He's got some uh, re- revision mirrors, um, you know, all sorts of cool stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, look, you've got a great, you've got a great bunch of things coming together. You've got the Mad Max action. You've got the, um, you know, what what I think eventually comes together. Like a lot of people think it was done better with Fury Road. Was you know this, um, you know, with, with her trying to save the these. Uh, these these women in Fury Road and go to this land of, of plenty and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think Waterworld does it just as well. I mean, this this child that supposedly has a map on her back that leads to dry land and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I, I I think that's you know, and and a lot of people when they compare, you know, I <laughs> I got a friend who hates both movies oh, equally. What? But he said, um, he said, he said, I can watch Waterworld because Waterworld at least has a plot. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, they're looking for dry land. And he said, what's the what's the plot of the postman? And I said, well, I said, well, the postman, he's, he's you know, he's there to restore, you know, he's, he's there to restore hope. I mean, you know, that's that's what he's there for. I mean, it's the journey to like, you know, I mean, they they've lost essentially the greater part of civilization. And the first thing that falls apart is 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 hope in people, um, you know, because everything things things you know just get worse and worse and worse, and 
you know, first first the first society disappears, and then you know, then you've got the the coming of the uh, the armies, and then you've got you know potential for cannibalistic tendencies, and you know, then you've got environmental shit. So I said, there's a lot of crap that people have to deal with in these post-apocalyptic environments. So if you got anyone that's walking around saying things are getting better, then you get behind something like that. Do you, um, do you, I think it might have been a mistake for him to do The Postman so quickly after Waterworld. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie in any way. I actually think it's fantastic and it somehow gets better every time I watch it. But it does seem like he could have done something else for a little while. Just maybe cool it a little bit for the some of the, the heat or the stench, I guess, of Waterworld to go away. Yeah. It's a shock that was such a huge Yeah, shock. and I think The Postman suffered from... Yeah. I think The Postman suffered from the stigma of of Waterworld because they said, well, here comes Kevin and it's another, you know, large scale. And, um, you know, and uh, also the, also at the time, which is, is, is always a negative detractor for some of these movies, particularly uh, within the Hollywood community, is is other films of equal, equal expense. Like, I mean, around the same time you had Titanic, which was... You know, a two hundred supposedly two hundred million dollars, probably a lot more, uh, film being made, and so automatically when when they have to compete against one another, it's like, well, which two hundred million dollar movie is better? You know, it's almost it's almost a stupid argument. Like, you know, it's like um, it's like it's like a bunch of kids, uh, you know, talking about their days back in uh, you know grade school and, and like schoolyard fights and like, oh well, I got beat up ten times. I got hit up 15 times. It's like a stupid, you know, who, uh, it's a stupid argument, really. Like, which which $200 million movie is better? Like, they're not even talking about the story and they're not even talking about the quality of the filmmaking anymore. They're talking about, well, this movie cost $200 million. And you go, okay, is that the plot of the movie or what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, um, and it's just ridiculous. And, and the postman... Um, again, which I loved, uh, like you, first time I saw it. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife groans every time I watch it. She doesn't groan. When, I don't think when I watch Waterwatch, she doesn't groan, but she groans when I watch The Post. Really? What are you that watching? is a very Postman? female-centric uh, film. I mean, it has such a strong... Both films have yeah. strong female characters. I, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Yeah, and I said, don't you... You know, is it, you know she said, oh, come on. He, he finds a mailbag and... And all of a sudden, he's a savior. And I went, well, you know, I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's not that bad, really. I mean, you know, it's it's a different... To me, it's, what's great about it is it's another take on the post-apocalyptic, you know. And I know she has a problem with post-apocalyptic movies. But I said, come on. I said, you think about, you think about other post-apocalyptic movies. And you look at both of these films. And they're really not you would say the conventional look at post-apocalyptic... I mean, A, Waterworld is completely... Most apocalyptic movies are either, you know, r- ravaged and destroyed grimy cities or, you know, desert wastes and all that sort of stuff. You've got Waterworld, which is completely out on, on the water. It's, you know, I mean, it's... That's, wow. I was like, wow, that's so... That's something they've never tried again. Um, you know... Probably. <laughs> Actually, they have. It's sort of. There was a movie called Lost City Raiders with James Broland 
and Ian Summerhalder, which they're in the post-apocalyptic world where water has covered New York and they're going through these buildings and like basically they're treasure hunters, you know, trying to find all the stuff in all these buildings. Okay. Wow. I've not seen that. That's cool. I'll have to check that one out. I've not seen that. Yeah, it's small budget. Like, and, I think it's like ten million dollars or something like that. Yeah. But it's still entertaining for what it is. Yeah. They did. They did do something similar. It's. I don't think it's completely. I don't know if the whole world was covered with water, but there was like a straight to DVD film come out this year. I think it was this year or last year, and it's called Shark World or something like that. Oh no! And, and it's, ba- it's basically little. Little atolls very similar to Waterworld, um, and of course, you know it's a shark, it's a shark exploitation film, or it's supposed to be. Um, and they're trying to. There's one shark apparently that's like the alpha, leading all these other little sharks. And they, if they if they kill the big shark, kind of like your uh, deep blue sea type deal, if they kill the big thinking shark, which is leading all the other ones then the other sharks will just go about their business and be like normal sharks and disperse and leave people alone. Um, <laughs> and it, it's done, it's probably done for less than million. I, I think this one was made for a couple hundred thousand. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're talking millions here. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so that kind of borrows a little bit. Then there's one particular scene where you've got a group of people that are very, uh, Waterworld reminiscent. They're kind of tribal looking with, uh, you know, a lot of retrofitted stuff. And I got the feeling it's the same set, just redressed over and over. Like, you know, it goes from clean to dirty to tribal to to uh, burnt and, you know, and, and ravaged. Uh, <laughs> you know, they just keep going back around. Oh, let's put, change the set and we'll come back into this scene. Um, so, yeah, but... Um, as far as as far as big budget, uh, uh, you know, big budget film, it's something that uh, that that hasn't sort of resurfaced. I mean, there's been other post-apocalyptic films, but again, you've got you know the the, the overgrown cities like you know I Am Legend or The Book of Eli, um, you know, um, things on like the road, Cormac McCarthy, you know, it's uh, very dark and bleak and snowy and ash and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm but, a sucker um, for the uh, the Italian post-apocalyptic movies. Actually, pretty much any Mad Max influence, like Radioactive Dreams, stuff like that. But I love those Italian rip-off movies. I know they're not good, but something about them just resonates. And I feel it's, it's like a lot of them are family-type films. So it feels like not family for kids. I mean, like they're made by the same group of people. Same actors keep showing up. Fred Williamson seems to be in like every one of them. But there's a weird comfort to his cheesiness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, what's that one? Warriors. It has a few different titles, but one of the titles is Warriors of the Wasteland or something like that. The Talking Motorcycle. And, uh, Robert Ginty. Yeah, that's that's great. That's that's very uh, <clears throat> very much a Mad Maxian, you know. And uh, there's that weird torture scene <laughs> in that one. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I'm not sure whether he's being yeah. That's a whole different episode, that particular part of that movie. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, um, Waterworld is, um, Waterworld is so fantastic on many levels. And it's, it, it really, you really have to sit and appreciate the fact that you've got, 
um, really this full scale. You right? That's yeah. Sorry, no. I've just I've just been shown something <laughs> gross. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That regularly scheduled program. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. And now for a commercial break. That? No. <laughs> that was unexpected. Okay. Um, but uh, no, like a lot of people. Oh, let me put it like this: a lot of people say, "Why do you like Waterworld so much?" And I said, "Well, you look. It's if if you like that particular genre, and if you like, you know, I mean." It's very easy to say, yes, it's Mad Max on water. But there's a lot of other stuff. There's a Western sort of idea going because Kevin Cost really is the man with no name. Um, you know, even though they call him the Mariner or whatever you want to call it. And, I mean, how cool is it that people forget? I had some of the action figures too. I've still got the action figures from yeah. Waterworld. It had a it had a video game um, come out. Did you read the comic Sorry? Did you ever read the comic books? I have not, but I've been didn't on my peripheral, and I've been thinking of getting them lately because it continues the story after he leaves the island, goes back to the water. There's two miniseries by Acclaim Comics, and I'm uh, I'm curious to check yeah. them out. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't read them for ages, but um, I do I do have them. I've got the novelization. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a completist. I've got <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of Waterworld stuff. I got the figures. I got the the, the trimaran, the, the boat, um, you know, I thought it was great, you know. I mean, you know, Kevin Costner for a while, they had a whole series of it because, like, just coming off of Prince of Thieves, he had, like, action figures for Prince of Thieves too. I got, like, I still got, like, a couple of his Prince of Thieves action figures as well. Um, so, yeah, Kevin Kevin for a while, there was, uh, he, he had, yeah, you know, they talk about, you know, um, they talk about your status in Hollywood being based on, like, you know, money earnings and whether you've got your own personal fragrance. I think it's based on action, the amount of action figures you've had. Eight of you. <laughs> that's, I think that's how most of society... The, look at the box office on this, okay? So, in America, it didn't make its money back. But internationally, it made a profit. And, and you know, a lot of that has to do with... The kids who eventually found it, you know, during that summer, and you, you see it with the, the toy merchandising. And I gotta tell you, there's other things that make this film great is the score, and it's so rousing. Same thing for Judge yes, Dredd. I know people yes. have a huge problem with Judge Dredd, but the score on both films are fantastic. <clears throat> I'm getting hoarse. <clears throat> Sorry. You're all right. But yeah, James, uh, yeah, James Newton Howard, um, who, uh, who did uh, a lot of Shyamalan's. Uh, well, I think he did all Shyamalan's early films from Sixth Sense right up until uh, Lady in the Water. I don't know if he did The Happening as well. I can't remember. But, um, yeah. And, and, I mean, also you've had – I mean, you had um, also script uh, editions. Like Raider, of course, wrote the first draft, but then a lot of other writers worked on it. Supposedly, um, there, there's a rumor that Joss, young Joss Whedon worked on it. Uh, David Tui who um, would go on to create the Riddick uh, films uh, in uh, Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick and then Riddick and um, someone recently posted a thing about his other film that he made in recent years, uh, Perfect Getaway, which I, is a perfect getaway, a perfect vacation, one of the two, um, which is uh, which is a great sort of uh, very underrated little thriller, that one. 
Um, he did The Arrival. Have you seen that one with Charlie Sheen? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. He wrote yeah. Critters 2. He wrote uh, Warlock. He was a really um, underappreciated writer. He did a lot of stuff out there that was fun and clever, just didn't make any money. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, then again, you've got, um, in, in talking about the actors, you've got a great cast. you got Kevin... Uh, Kevin Costner was at the height of his powers. Uh, like I said, Michael Jetta, who's one of the actors who has passed away, played uh, Gregor, the old crazy inventor guy. The the you know he's the he's the yeah. retrofitted making gadgets out of everything guy. Um, Dennis Hopper's a great villain. Um, I I'm a like in talking about in talking about movies that, that people don't like ironically he plays the villain too in another film that I love that people don't like and that's the Mario Brothers movie oh that was uh, terrible oh like a, it's not even like a Mario Brothers game like, I, I feel like it was a script that was just morphed into Mario Brothers yeah I, 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 I've got a soft spot for the movie uh, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me uh, but uh, yeah, Hopper's great in this. Um, I particularly love the scene. He's, he's he was so great at like I don't know if he, he was hamming it up or he really was just enjoyed being that crazy. Um, but I love the scene where he's getting the the fa- the, the, the eyeball painted. <laughs> that is and, uh, and he's like just hold still, and he's like okay, and he goes okay done. He goes looking at it. He goes he goes okay. What does it look like? Like, oh, yeah, and everyone's like, oh, all right, yeah. And he asked the kid, he goes, come on, truth now. He goes, I think it looks like shit. He goes, that's why I love kids. <laughs> and next minute he turns his head real quick, he goes, he goes, take it. He turns his head and the eyeball goes flying. He's like, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a good sense of humor. So that's why I do feel like maybe that Joss Whedon rumor is real because the dialogue is strong in certain parts. You feel like he was just brought in to patch up the script in certain spots. Uh, and there's also yeah. a, a high adventure swashbuckling kind of thing going on with the the series as well, or the movie as well. Totally, but um, you know, I mean, it's that's why I like it. Like, it's a good. There's there's very few films uh, today that are a good mixture. They're, they're either they're either totally serious with a few jokes, or they're 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 funny and they try to have a little bit of drama. I mean, with Waterworld, you've got a good blend. You've got you've got high action. You've got the whole seafaring adventure thing going. You've got this, you know, there's, there's some good little moments of, um, of witty banter. There's some good comedic moments. Um, you know, we, we, we've also, you know, Jack Black is in the movie. A lot of people don't know. Like, he's the pilot of the, uh, of the, the, the plane. When, the, when they try to, when they hunt down the boat with the plane, Jack Black is the pilot. Right. Um, of the plane, um, you know, and there's, you know, some generally, there's some, <laughs> some great moments. Like I love the guy. I feel, uh, he's got a, he's the, he's the guy who, who lives down in the, the, the oil the <laughs> yeah. tank. <laughs> the you old know. man who gives a little cigarette ash. Thank yeah. you. Or so, no, spits on him. He's like, your worship. Good. Hello. Good morning or good night, whichever the case may be, you know. <laughs> and like he uh, he spits down the thing. He's like, "Oh, thank you, you're excellent." <laughs> you know, we're down to three feet of black stuff, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's great stuff like that, you know. And and like you know, you know they all, you know, he's great. It doesn't matter. <laughs> 
which way the world is going to end, it always seems like there's going to be cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, right? it's kind of strange. In this case, it's a... How is it in this world where they can hardly this... keep anything in good condition? They have thousands of cigarettes and bullets, like, in perfectly good shape. No bullets jam, ever. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, um, and look, some of the guns look like they're a bit dodgy and, and retrofitted, but yeah, and they can dive in the water and come back out, and they still fire, and yeah, totally. I mean, um but, you know, great action sequences. Like, it begins... It's really a film that keeps moving. A lot of people, you know, talk about pacing in movies and how it gets boring. Waterworld keeps moving. I mean, it really is a chase movie. Like, from the from the beginning, from the Atoll scene, which is a massive action set piece, um, the rest of the film is really a chase then, you know, uh, uh, between, you know, the... the the mariner and and then uh, Dennis Hopper's trying to get him and or to get the girl basically, and then he's got a you know he's the man with no name he's got to double back for a friend, um so you know and then we get to the big crescendo and there's dry land and um you know and I like the the longer version where you, you find out that it's actually the they're standing on on top of the what was the the peak of Mount Everest or something like that because there's a plaque the plaque is in the the long grass yeah and. Uh, and you find out that where the tattoo came from was, you know, the the, the parents, are obviously, of the girl were writing this note, you know, sending out, hey, just dry land over here, you know. And, you know, But instead of putting a note in a bottle, they tattooed it on the back of a baby. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, why not? And, um, you know, and Kevin can't stay. He's, he's John Wayne in The Searchers. He's, uh, he's forced to wander forever between the winds or the waves in this case, um, you know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and the you know, postman, it's, 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 the postman takes like yeah. almost the yin to this yang. It's not as high adventure. It's not funny, really. If there are jokes, it's not in the same manner. It's more like, uh, oh, that's an odd comparison to what we know now, um, compared yeah. to what it would be in their future. It's it is also a western, but there's a lot more weight to it. I think I know it's slower and I know it's longer. But I feel like the importance of Postman um, is forgotten. Yeah. And, again, this, I mean, the, the Postman got very limited release um, in theaters over here. Um, it was more so like a big video release. But I did see it in the uh, in one theater um, because uh, I remember seeing the poster and I thought, oh, okay, it's another, wow, I was, I was kind of like... I was I was kind of like the detractors, like oh Kevin's doing another post-apocalyptic movie, um, and I remember once I heard the title, I did try and find the book because I know it's based on David Brin's uh, book. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a hold of the book till after I saw the film. Now the book is you know like anything, it's 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 uh, widely different from the from the film, not, not not in so much about what goes on. Of course, the films are a condensed version of the books, but. Uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, the, the postman suffered again, uh, like we were saying, from the uh, from the stigma of Waterworld. But it was Kevin trying to sort of uh, uh, recapture, I think, a little bit of what he had in Dances with Wolves, as far as you know, the, the sprawling, the sprawling, you know, the the sprawling countryside. Uh, instead of instead of it being a person who goes amongst you know, native peoples, it's a person who goes amongst the roots of humanity 
and uh, realizes that there's, you know, there's some good, there's some, there's some bad. Um, uh, what's his name? Will Patton, like the evil General Bethlehem, who used to be a copier salesman. <laughs> Which um, I remember, I remember coming home and telling my father because my father was a copier salesman. So, Dad, in the event of the end of the world, yeah, you could lead an arm. <laughs> and he said, "Why?" I said, "I just seen a." There's a cop. There's a movie that the copier salesman turns out to be a general um, in like the future army. He's like, oh, that's fantastic. He said, that's <laughs> that's good news for copier salesmen all over the world. Uh, you know what I but, actually forgot? Uh, also, there's a thing I forgot about the plot right. until I watched it this last time, and it really resonates now. Um, was the whole white supremacist thing? Is that Will Patton will only take white people? And he's trying to build that into his perfect world. And he was a salesman, unlike, I don't know, someone in office in our country right now who is a con artist, white supremacist, huh? <laughs> yes. And um, that, it is interesting to bring up the fact that he's, uh, that he is, uh, you know, racially inclined, you know. Um, but, you know, what I think, what I think is interesting more so about the, I mean, Waterworld is set up at the beginning, you know, and it's it's set up in a really beautiful and, and very economic way with the, with the voiceover, you know, the the polar ice caps have melted, right? The world is covered with water. Okay, uh, with this one, we there's you get you get sort of this fractured beginning where Costa comes out of the out of the desert like uh, Omar Sharif in um, in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. And we hear like these, these these bits and pieces of like radio uh, broadcasts as he's as he's as the credits uh, play across the screen. So we're getting like little 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 bits of the world, you know, what happened to the world and all this sort of stuff. And then of course you get the voiceover, um, which we learn is is his daughter in the future. Um, uh, but there's a lot that that isn't kind of set up and. And it's and you don't. I mean, you know, you sort of think, okay, how did this army get started, and you know, how did he become the general, and why the why do they sit around watching the sound of music, uh, and why do they prefer that to the other movie? Um, <laughs> that is weird that they would want to watch that movie over and over. What was what was the other movie they were watching? Oh, jeez, oh, it's been it's been a little bit since I watched it, but. Um, Dang it. Oh. it seemed like it was a good movie, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I was part of that world. I was like, I don't want to watch Mary Poppins again, damn it. Or, or Sound of Music. I want to say it was a war, but I don't know if it was Apocalypse Now. Jeez, um, it's been, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a little bit since I watched it, but I want to say it was like some sort of war movie. And you'd think, being an army, that they'd be into it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, they want their Sound of Music. Um which I think is this really great abstract scene. Like you've got this, essentially you're a bunch of, you know, he's got a bunch of, you know, supposedly bloodthirsty warriors that have, have gone and they wipe out any, any resistance. Yeah. At night they all hunker down and watch uh, the sound of music, which is, which is kind of, kind of lovely. It makes you think, you know, you know, they might be hard ass um, mercenaries, you know, this mercenary army, but but they you know they, they've got that soft side they like their Julie Andrews um, nights so it's um you know it's 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 you know and you know because I mean it's a good 
it's this weird sort of counterbalance to the whole thing because this is really weird. This is, a, this is an upside down. It, it's another element. Like, this is an upside down sort of world. It's not, um, you know, it, it didn't. It probably didn't fall apart all at once, but it's been falling apart slowly over time, right? Um, and then, you know, I mean, um, the, it, it's, it's, I don't know, the one person was really angry with me that the first thing I thought of when Tom Petty died was his part in the post. They were mad at you for that? <laughs> yeah, they said, like, I, I, I someone said, I was, I was, oh, Tom Petty died. And, um, they told me, they said, oh, Tom Petty just died. This is before he actually died too, because the, the news came first that he was already that he wasn't quite dead. He died later in the day. But um, they said, oh, Tom Petty died. And I said, the line is like, hey, no, you, man, you're famous. Right? I heard of you. And, um, and I said, oh, that's the line from, uh, he was in the postman, remember? And they're like, oh, my God, really? Tom Petty just died and you think he had his part in the postman? I'm like, totally. I mean, well, he was in the postman. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, obviously, I remember him from his, his music, but he was he was the mayor of Bridge City. <laughs> hey, uh, I apologize. We should probably wrap this up. We have the chaos happening again upstairs, and your audio is starting to go funny. Um, so I apologize, but we're almost to an hour anyway. So hey, right. we almost made it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no. They're both like they're both fantastic movies, and like it's very hard to convince people who don't uh, agree to to sit down and give them a second chance. Uh, but I mean, look, I, I I watch them a lot of the time. You know, the 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 Postman's a great sort of uh, afternoon. Like I always find myself watching in the afternoon for some reason. You know, and um, well, like I said, the wife grows. <laughs> The post. She doesn't groan at Waterworld. She just sort of leaves the room with that one. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the postman gets like, oh, really? Itching. <laughs> you know, out of all the movies you own, you really want to sit and watch that? And I was like, well, I like it. And that's that's what I always tell people. They go, you know, oh, they go, oh, the postman, oh, Waterworld. I like it. I like it. What, you know, what do you want? Um... <laughs> There's, there's lots of cool stuff about both movies. I mean, you know, the dodgy Shakespeare scene that he uses where he's just sort of out of being Shakespeare to get a bowl of soup. Um, you know, I, I, I love the fact his legs healing up in the thing. Like, she makes him, he's been lying there, like, badly, like, you know, being like an easy rider and leeching off her, uh, the chick while his legs been healing and she makes him get out of bed. He's just been laying there and watching her, you know, work and stuff. Um, I love his sidekick's name is Ford Lincoln Mercury. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I always wanted to have a son, and like you know, and I said, "Would can we name him Ford Lincoln? Wouldn't that be cool?" Um, <laughs> you know, um, you know. I mean, you know, in the in the end, you know, I mean, a lot of people just really groan at the whole, you know, where he, where the kid comes out with a letter and he thinks he misses him and he writes. Uh, everybody, sorry about that. There was a cutout there. I don't know what happened. I think everybody on the planet got on Netflix all at once and kicked our asses off. Um, so we're saying, yes, uh, Postman and Waterworld both definitely check them out. I have, Postman is longer, unless you get the director's cut of Waterworld, which might be longer. But 
Postman is a more pensive film. Waterworld is more meant for like the kids with ADD. Both are fantastic. I remember the first time I saw Postman, it was on the early DVDs where you actually had to flip it over in order to get to the second half of the movie. Yes, totally. It's <laughs> weird. Yeah. Like, laser yeah, discs still, used to be still, like that. Yeah, I've still got a few of those, the, the double-sided ones. But, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they all, uh, they all, uh, the, the, the cutout was because, you know, they're, they all uh, tuned over, and hopefully they're all watching Waterworld and the Postman out there somewhere. I'd like to think so. What I'd love to think is that Kevin Costa still has the statue at the end of the water at, at the end of uh, Postman <laughs> in his backyard. <laughs> in his backyard, it's like I'd his love, version of the Lawgiver from Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I'd love to like. Uh, there's a secret fantasy mode. I'd love to visit his ranch or whatever, and there's that statue in the backyard, and just like. <laughs> And, and and just smile, half knowing, expecting that he would have that. Um, <laughs> you know. All right, so that for us, cool. it's it's the end of the season. Hopefully I can pick up the remaining episodes that got delayed. Uh, we'll be back in the spring, in April, to do another season. Season four! Holy crap, I made it this far. Uh, we'll pick... This This season was mostly sword and sorcery kind of movies. We'll, we'll pick a couple themes for next year. Um, not sure yeah. what yet. I'm thinking maybe some more post-apocalyptic fun. And uh, Escape from LA, oh, yeah. seriously, dude, Escape from LA. I gotta talk about it. <laughs> Which one? Uh, Escape from LA. It's. It, I know Escape nobody likes LA. it, but I love it. I do. I love. I love it. I love it. Maybe totally. some kung fu. We'll Maybe we should do some kung fu hey. flicks. Kung fu, yeah, totally. Yeah, I was just speaking speaking with Don the Dragon Wilson recently. He did yes. a couple of uh, good ones like Future Kick and Sci Fighter and Cyber Tracker. Cyber Tracker, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we could do some of those. Yeah. Well, whatever we do, we'll do something cool. So uh, you all better tune in because uh, this is the house. This is the house for all the all the the gems in the junk. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to- totally. Waterworld and the Postman, man, love those. I could really spend an hour talking about just both individually. But um, I there used to be this great theater. I'll tell the story really quickly. There used to be this great theater on the coast. Um, in Queensland here where I live um, that we used to go to at holiday time. And ironically, I saw a lot of great films there. I saw Heat, um, a movie I, I liked that I found out that a lot of people don't really is the Three Musketeers. It's a Disney, Disney Three Musketeers with uh, Chris O'Donnell and Kiefer Sutherland and uh, Oliver Platt. I love that movie. Love Charles it. Pink. And you're right, and, though. It's, and, it's got uh, no attention. Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Uh, what's oh, Tim Curry's the bad guy, and Michael Wincott is um, Rochefort. Isn't that a smelly kind of a cheese? Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that's a, I saw that, and uh, yeah, the last film before that theater closed down, I saw, uh, and it used to have a massive screen. It was a massive theater. Uh, was Waterworld? And it was a fantastic experience, and uh, it still is. Um, and yeah, like like Michael said, get out and uh, and see it. Get, get the longer version, um, which is cool. See more Waterworld. Um, yeah, totally. I, I, I'm trying to convince the the theater the theater guy here who's, who's showing um, uh, old movies now. Like I managed to get uh, Big Trouble Little China shown. Uh, I'm trying to get him to do Waterworld. He said it's not that popular. I said yes, it is. You, <laughs> I guarantee no you put it on, they'll come out of the woodwork. The Waterworld crowd are devoted, but they're not vocal. Um, you need to be love Waterworld. You just you need to start. You need to chime up. You need to get louder. 
because we can change the world uh, <laughs> and we can do it here. <laughs> um, yeah, don't wait till the world is covered with water. No, no, Tell no. people how much you love it. What, yeah. uh, while we're waiting for the next season, where can people catch you? Um, as always, uh, podcastingsoftly.com. A lot of great interviews coming up, including, like I told you uh, yesterday, with, uh, with Matt Hannon, the Samurai Cop. That would be great uh, to do the Samurai Cop 1 and 2 on one of these shows. Yeah, I've never seen uh, it. Yeah, totally. Go go watch the Samurai Cop, particularly with Joe Bob Briggs's commentary, which will add an extra dimension. I promise. Um, yeah, lots of cool interviews. I uh, recently had one too, which is coming up with Michael Davis, who directed Shoot 'Em Up, um, which uh, which seemed like it came and went, but uh, that's another great film that was really kind of passed over. It was Shoot 'Em Up with Clive Owen and uh, Paul Giamatti and Monica Bellucci. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Davis, I had an interview with the writer of No Escape, which I was an extra on when it was filmed here in Queensland, also known as Escape from Absalom, starring Ray Liotta and Lance Henriksen and Ernie Hudson, who's a really nice guy, I have to say. He actually came down and said hello to us uh, background artists. We were having lunch. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, lots lots of good, uh, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, podcastandsoftly.com. Or for the writing, you can check us out on at KHP Scribbling uh, on Facebook and, of course, Amazon.com. All right. So check out the rest of the episodes that we've done this season and previous seasons over at Video Night, where you'll find episodes of Video Night and this spinoff where we talk about trashy movies that Andrew just can't bring himself to discuss. <laughs> I love trashy, fun <laughs> movies. He's, he's, a little, he's a little stingier with it. But um, we will see you next uh, year, around April, and start off a whole new season. So thank you, everybody, for supporting us the last three years, and have a good night. Thank you. Okay. Ah!
Dr. Love. And her new love's an alien who's more than accommodating. You own your own homework, Ingrid. Gina Davis, Julie Brown, and Jeff Goldblum in a film directed by Julian Temple and produced by Tori Garnett. I just don't want you to think Earth girls are easy. Earth girls are easy. Understood. What did you do? I'm a vampire. <laughs> Have you ever seen one of these before? 18th century, right? And he hasn't scored in 400 years. Man, that dude's so got blue. He just met the perfect girl and lost her for the 14th lifetime in a row. Just forget the fact that we are the oldest living virgins walking the planet. But all that is about to change. You always die on Halloween night of your 22nd year. Because if the devil sold his soul, he still couldn't rock and roll. I don't think I'm a vampire. I really am a vampire. <laughs> like Rockula. Welcome to another episode of Trash Summer, our final entry in the year with our musicals. Uh, I think this episode pretty much wraps it up with uh, Earth Girls Are Easy and Rockula. I don't really see any shitty ones or trashy ones. Uh, once the 90s hit, it just seems like the genre died, period. Um, but I'm your host, Michael. On the other side here is my sister, Mindy. How you doing, Mindy? Hi. Hey. So wait, you're saying that this is going to be our last one? Is there another musical episode where they're kind of like trashy fun? I, I feel like once the 90s hit, the ones that did come out were like legit. Well, except maybe Cannibal. I don't know. <laughs> what about that Repo movie? Nah, man, that movie's been rough for me to get through. I know people love it. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I just remembered one. Psycho Beach Party. Isn't that a musical? Uh, I don't think so, but Damn. we can... We can always evaluate later. It's fine. Yeah, we might we might be able to fit another one or two in, but I, I feel like this is kind of like that end point. Um, hey, yeah, that's I, true. Can I ask you a question? As an adult, do you have you changed your name to Melinda, or do you just stick with Mindy? Because I'm pretty much now just Michael. When people say Mike, I want to stab them in the throat. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a mixture of both. I don't really correct people or anything. Uh, I use it my full name more professionally, but still with people who know me better, like most of the people at work or my friends still call me, they call me Mindy. I just don't feel like a Melinda. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I can't stand being called Mike. I feel like it's the blue collar, just a uh, half-ass name. Like I'm the dude you sit around and drink beer with and watch WWF. Now, if your name's Mike and you like being called Mike, more power to you. I can't stand being called Mike, but it came up this week because there's a dude I work with 
who refused. I asked him like four times, and I, I snapped on the floor. I was like, my name is Michael. It is not Mike. It is not Mikey. It is not M. It is Michael. Say Michael. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I don't think that's unique. I think that people want to create some kind of familiarity, so they want to give you a nickname or something. But, you know, I think, to me, I would think that your desire to be called Michael is more because you know, you're a different person now than when you were a teenager or a kid or whatever. You're you're a different version of yourself and you want to you want to acknowledge that by a different you know, a different version of your name too. Yeah. Makes sense. Well I was thinking about that and I've never really had like an appropriate nickname. It usually just plays on our last name, you know, some sort of variation on that. But um mm -hmm. I think it's weird when you know people but only by their nickname i knew a guy for years as michigan clearly not his name it's not like an indiana jones oh, thing i only knew him as michigan because he wore a michigan hat all the time i have no idea what his name is <laughs> i knew him for years i never asked him and we're already off topic we are but um what, what i what what let's see the reason i said this though is because not a lot of people refer to dean cameron without chainsaw in the middle of his name on facebook it's it's always some is sort that of true yes it's always calling him hey chainsaw instead of hey dean it's always chainsaw and it oh, must drive dumb. him up i don't the... like that yeah well it's his character from summer school and that's what most people know him no, from. I know. but that would drive me nuts maybe that's the thing is like because we know him from so many things that i don't i mean of course he's the guy from summer school but i associate him with a lot of other stuff too yeah, uh, but I think, you know, like you and I, that's the first thing we saw him and we loved him in that. Uh, and he did have follow-up films and work like that, but nothing as uh, successful. More like either barely released, direct-to-video, cable kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was one of those guys where he got signed to a development deal with Paramount. The problem was, is during that whole year... That was when there was a, a writer's strike. So nothing ever happened. Ooh. By the time the writer's strike was over, he had cooled mm -hmm. off. And Paramount had no use for him anymore. So, you know, he got basically put in a couple episodes of a TV show. And that was it. Just to complete the deal. That's so sad. And, and Rockula, I believe, is the first thing that he did post-contract with Paramount. Mm-hmm. Not well, the that is. I mean, isn't that one of those things is life is all about timing, huh? Yeah, it is. And it's also the fact that... This is from Canon Pictures, but it's not the Canon Pictures that was, like, so well exposed through, like, Masters of the Universe and all this Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson films. This is post-bankruptcy. Oh, this is when the group split up, and, and their budgets went from being, like, 10 to $15 million to 2 to $4 million. Yeah. And well, you, you can kind of tell. Yeah. It's... Here's the thing about the movie is that it feels like a foreign film starring an American lead. The whole time... Oh, yeah, I can see that. The movie feels like it wants to know how Americans find stuff funny, but it's not like its main focus. It's more of an international kind of comedy, and every country has a very unique way of expressing comedy. Yeah, it's like, you're right, someone who does, who's like, English is their second language, and they and they still have a, a little issue of, like, understanding American humor. <laughs> I know the director is Luca Bercovici, who is Italian, but I've seen him act, and he seems completely Americanized. So it's not like he wasn't exposed to how we uh, do comedy here. I almost feel like he was just like, uh, Three's Company is the pinnacle of comedy, you know? <laughs> 
this is also, of course, before we've been exposed to a lot of the BBC humor, Canadian humor, more subversive kind of not in your face comedy. Well, I mean, that's kind of still the American comedic approach. True. This is the era when this movie came out. We were still in the era of Police Academy. Yeah. The problem is. But also, what I go ahead. Oh, I was just saying. Also, I don't. I mean, yes, we are. Uh, comedic movies now have more variety in their style and approach, but it is still a common comedic approach to do this same kind of stuff. I wonder if the script was finished for Rockula or the director said, hey, you know what, this isn't working, let's improv. Because I feel like a lot of times Dean is carrying the entire movie on his shoulders, but he almost looks exhausted trying to work every single joke out of some of the worst material. Yeah. I can see that. And it's a weird-ass it movie, a too. Little, it's, it's it does co- seem a little pained, doesn't it? It does. There's, so, there's times I'm like, cut, cut, take the camera off. No. Or it's an, a reaction shot from him that doesn't fit what else is going on. Mm-hmm. But the musical yeah. aspect is where it really falls apart. For every decent song, they got one that's so poorly put together, so wrong in every aspect. I, I don't know what is going on. Well, I mean, honestly, as a movie as a whole, it's not that great. As a musical, it is not good at all. No. Um, <laughs> I like I like their duet in the rain. I thought that was good. Um, I like, I, you know, you didn't like it, but I like the part where Tony Basil does her little rap, even though it's awkward and silly. Um, I actually kind of Just enjoyed all that. of the All the rapping silly, but that doesn't mean that I, like, hated it or anything. It's just... It's just a little, makes you cringe a bit. It does. The Rapula was him just going, yo, 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 yo. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. I know, that's the thing is like, you know, you were saying, you know, he's not a singer. It's pretty obvious that he's not. And then he had to do a lot of songs and all different musical stylings. It's not just that he had to like, you know, push through some things. He had to do all this different kinds of stuff and rap and be an idiot while rapping. It's just, it was a lot put on one person, not just, you know, the comedic delivery, but you know, the music side of it and everything too. It is a surprise that they didn't pull the Eddie and the cruisers approach where Michael Perret had that dynamic, uh, acting style but not necessarily a singer so i'm kind of surprised on some of these songs where it was clearly that uh he had by the way dean cameron is a very accomplished guitar player he's had a couple albums out with bands and he's been performing uh, like weekly at at this thing called karaoke in la but um oh i didn't know that a flat singer kind of i mean he really doesn't have the singing chops so i'm stunned that when they saw the final cut they're like hey could we bring someone else in to dub this over no we're good Mm -hmm. oh whatever I mean, he's not terrible by, like, an, a, a normal person standard, but for, like, you know, a musical film standard, yeah, he's, I mean, he just, does, it's, it's, yeah, it's just boring. It's not terrible, but, there, There's two things that you know. creep me out in this movie. One, because it's so insane, I don't know how they accomplished it, was getting B.B. King in a B costume, and clearly not flattering in any way whatsoever. Right. And the second it was it, the 80s. Do you remember at the end, uh, it's it's towards the end, when they're doing the song, and the girl has that, she's the one with the glasses, she was like the best friend of the main girl, and they have those little kids uh, singing along with her, and they're obviously not singing, that that was dubbed in by grown-ups trying to be yeah. kids, that's creepy. Yeah, I remember that. La, yeah. la, 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 
La, la, la, la, I mean, la, la. But why were they there anyway? I don't know. Why Wasn't it, like, late there? at night? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of questionable things there, actually. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, I, I lost it. Sorry. <laughs> All of this thingy, though, is much more believable than the end of Bill and Ted's bogus journey when <laughs> they come back from that, oh, we came back from a six-month intense guitar camp. Now we're going to perform live, and they sound just like Kiss. And I'm like, no, no. What? What's going on? Um, so what I was going to say was, can you explain to me the whole thing about his, the two versions of him? Like, was one supposed to be like his bad boy alter ego or something? Well, that's a weird play on the mythos of Dracula is the fact that usually you cannot see the reflection, but for some reason with Ralphie, you can see the reflection, but... Uh Uh-huh. It's like an alternate dimension. I don't. Does, okay, so his version obviously exists when he's not around. What is outside of that mirror? Is he literally stuck in that room for the rest of but eternity? Was he, but didn't he see him other places than just the mirror? That's what I don't understand. Well, like he, he asked, would see him in a in a storefront window, and maybe he did because uh, well, it's a little bit weird that. Um, he acts like he's stuck in that room, but clearly if, if he can see him in different reflections in different rooms... Right. Oh, that doesn't make sense. That's a shitty idea. That doesn't work. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to I'm just gonna accept that that part was unnecessarily confusing and was there for, like, the sake of comic relief and nothing else because I didn't understand it. It's also kind of stupid and messed up that his mother is trying to kill her, like... I know. I, I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, would... oh, I'm so, Ra- I'm sorry, Ralphie, I just couldn't. I'm like, no, no, you are a psychopath. Have you been trying to she kill was... her for centuries? <laughs> so, so she was behind, like, 200 years of his, like, heartbreak and destruction and frustration and, like, this painful thing that he had to go through, like, what, a dozen times? You... And she was just like... I just didn't want you to grow up and leave me. That's, I mean, after decades of, wouldn't you think she was just sick of him? Like, all right, let's just, I mean, she clearly had no problems having her own relationship, but he, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it was pretty messed up. And and then they were just like, oh, mom, that's so sweet. Blah, blah, blah. Happy ending. Yeah. Like Not I said, like, we need to put you in a home. Right. <laughs> or in cuffs. Yeah, that too. Yeah, the movie is severely flawed. Like I said, he is pretty much carrying the entire movie. Uh, the other thing, Thomas Dolby, uh, famous for um, She Blinded Me With Science, is the villain in this. There are stuff that he does. Like, you know the fake commercial that he does? I thought was really, really like sp- spot on. And then the rest of it is just like he doesn't know what he's doing at all. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, it was all a mess. Yeah. And also he was super. He was super creepy. <laughs> he was slimy. What is with the thing what? in the late 80s, early 90s with the fucking ponytail? But, you know, it's either greased back, but he had like this weird side thing. And I was like, what are you even doing? What is the point? Just cut your hair if you have to do that. I don't know. He kind of reminded me of the villain on uh, the Phantom of the Paradise, but uh, but dumber. And I don't know. The creep. Oh, you mean Paul Williams character? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Totally. Much better film. Hey, kids, uh, if they could find a way to put Rockula and Phantom of the Paradise together, probably a lot better. But go watch Phantom of the Paradise instead. <laughs> no, I, after I watch that, I keep trying to, like, force it on people. Like, you need to watch. No, trust me. No, seriously. Watch, no, watch it. Um, I, I guess. 
They don't believe me. Yeah, Canon Pictures went out of business soon after this, and uh, the company that made Earth Girls Are Easy, Vestron, actually went out of business immediately after it bombed. It's not a bad Aww. movie. So usually trash cinema is usually about like trashy movies, grindhouse movies, or movies that just flop. This is actually a decent movie, but it's notorious for destroying a studio. I don't think I realized that, but again, you know, when I watched it, we saw this movie, I feel like, a lot of times when we were kids. Well, you know, I think about that. Is I, I was watching something recently, and I feel like we had watched it two or three times when we rented it, and we used to do that. It was so much harder back then to get movies. We owned maybe, what, yeah. a total of ten movies, period, at, when this came out, like 1989? But we used to, oh, it's Little Monsters. I don't know, we were always... Little Monsters. We were always at, yeah. like... The, um, the drugstore renting videos all we the were. time. I am the guy that would go to the counter every single day for weeks on end and bug about a movie. And uh, American Ninja 3, Blood Hunt, do you have that, sir? And he's like, for the 15th time this week, no. <laughs> hey, you gotta, you gotta be persistent. You never know. She's out of control. I remember us watching that quite a bit. There's so many movies from this era that we watched like two or three times. Like, immediately. But seriously, did... Did we watch it because we rented it that many times, or was it like on MTV or like early Comedy Central days? I don't know. I feel like it might have been a mix of both. Yeah, you know? um, part of it, I can't imagine we'd rent a movie more than once unless it was absolutely amazing. I, I don't even know if I've ever rented a movie more than once. We'd usually we just didn't watch really it. have good taste. No, we had terrible taste. I look back on a lot of movies we watched as kids and going, was I a stupid child? Did I have a head injury? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Oh, well, people, you know, uh, what we find funny changes over time. I And plus, everybody has, like, weird, some people really like, you know, um, fart jokes and, you know, uh, whatever, fall down, really simple kind of humor. And then some people like, you know, dry British humor or whatever in between. It just... You know, whatever strikes you as funny, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. I don't care. No, but I do find it weird when people are like, oh, this is a classic. I go, hmm, you're really twisting the word classic. Do you just mean classic because it hit a certain year? Like the way cars are classic if they're more than 20 years old? Just because it, it's old, yeah. Yeah, or, or are you just saying, like, this is a great movie because I'm not sure that counts. I mean, our, but of course, it's what it means to you. I know there's some right. shitty movies out there that mean a lot to me that other people just roll their eyes at, and vice versa. Like what? Give me an example. Uh, Monster Squad. I thought it was the greatest thing on the planet when it first came out. I watched it three times. But as I'm getting as I'm getting older, I start realizing, oh, this is campy. This is kind of cheesy. Oh, this is nowhere nearly as good as I thought it was. Um, but I know some people who consider that to be the greatest horror movie. They're definitely a top ten for them. Oh, well, I don't know about scale of 1 to 10 or anything, but I just watched it like a month ago, and it was still super enjoyable. There, there was another one that I watched, and I fluctuate on some of these, like Masters of the Universe, for a while there I thought it was amazing, then I thought it was crappy, and then I went back and watched it, and I go, oh, that's not that bad. It's actually amazing in special effects, for sure. Uh, Dolph Lundgren can't act, but, you know, who can blame him? It was the second movie ever. Yeah, and he's a scientist. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about biochemistry or something like that. Chemical engineering. Yeah, he's like... He's, like, freaking brilliant. Yeah. Which is uh, totally weird. Um, or the fact that I've ignored until just recently the end Revenge of the Nerds. Don't tell me that it's not creepy that he's just slept with that woman without her even knowing. Come on. Oh, that is really creepy. Right? She thinks she's sleeping with Stan Gable and he takes off his mask. And I would have been like, holy shit, call the cops! She's just like, oh, I didn't know nerds are so lovey. Bullshit ending. Bullshit ending. <laughs> 
No, that that's totally uh, that would not fly in a movie now. No, and Porky's Porky's be, was number one at the box office for like three months straight. That movie is excruciating, and there was two sequels. What the fuck? Well, you know, times were different in the eighties. I wonder if kids are saying that now about American Pie. Mm, probably. Shit, I wonder if I'll say that about American Pie. I haven't seen it since it came out. Mm, probably. <laughs> but um, Earth Girls are easy. Yes, we watched this movie. Yes. I feel like we watched it a bunch in the beginning. I would not doubt yeah. that it was on TV because those guys were red hot uh, once in Living Color debuted. And I bet you that studio went out of business. They probably sold it to some network for dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, Ju- Julie Brown was like kind of popular at that time. Wasn't she like on MTV and stuff? And I feel like that is part of the reason why maybe it played a lot. I feel like we watched it a lot. Uh, it's weird that there was two Julie Browns on MTV at the same time. And they had to differentiate Agreed. them with downtown Julie Brown and regular Julie Brown. <laughs> Which now no, seems I... a little racist because the black one was called downtown and the white one just gets to be Julie Brown. Oh, I didn't really think about the downtown part. Just, I guess I didn't think of the implication of that word. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. um, anyway... So do you think that's true? Is that what it was? It probably was. It. I don't remember seeing it that much because I pretty much had amnesia to most of it uh, when I watched it recently. The. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not particularly a musical. It has. It's. It's jarring and it doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to be. And that's the problem with the movie is it's partially like an alien uh, fish out of water kind of comedy, like my stepmother's an alien. And then it turns into like a dance movie, like flash dance or footloose. And then it has these musical numbers that pop in and out, but it's not consistent. You know what? It's sort of like legally blonde when they had that like musical number in the hair salon. And you're like, what the hell was that? (laughs) I don't remember that at all. They had a musical number. Really? Oh yes. Well, there's that dance You'll number to... in 500 Days of Summer that comes out of nowhere. Is that in reality yeah. or is that in his head? Um, I'm pretty sure it's in his head. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. But yeah, uh, Earth Girls are easy. It's one of these where the tonal shifts are really jarring. It's still an enjoyable film. Yeah. I love the special effects. I love the makeup. Of course, I love the cast. They're the reason why I love what we watched in Living Color because we didn't know who they were. Except for Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey were so much fun in that movie. And then we're like, they're together again yeah. in the show? We gotta watch this. Yeah, I mean, when we're... What year did this movie come out? Uh, spring of 89. Okay, so when I was, you know, all of 9 and you were all of 12, you certainly weren't like, oh, Gina Davis is in this movie, let's watch it. You yeah, know? I had no idea who she was. I, well, no, um, we, did, we, had, I, we had seen her in Beetlejuice, though. But, I mean, but as a kid, you don't really associate those things, like you do now no I and mean, I, I totally know. had no idea who Jeff Goldblum was no not at all but um yeah I guess that's what it was but I don't know you're right the whole there's the flow is really weird um you know the whole I don't know it is kind of a jumble but it's still I found it very enjoyable when I rewatched it a couple weeks ago um but yeah it, it had it feels weird but maybe I'm okay with weird movies no, I am yeah. now. This is during that era when it felt like independent movies had to stick out from the normal stuff. You know, they had to have a weird angle or 
there's something unusual about it in order to get attention. And I feel like, like that died off once B-movies were completely embraced by the studio. And I would say that's probably around the time of Jurassic Park is where now the little guys no longer have anything strange. They're just doing lower budget versions of big budget films. Mm -hmm. So hmm. yeah, Earth Girls Are Easy is one of those where it's a very unique voice. Uh, it, it is written by Julie Brown or co-written, correct? Right. Yes. Yes, it is. She, I don't think she had anything to do with Shakes the Clown. I think that was all Bob Goldthwaite's movie. She's enjoyable in that, but I don't think she did another movie until she did uh, Plump Fiction, which is a parody of independent movies and you know Tarantino films. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I don't really, I don't really know much about her other than yeah, I remember seeing her on MTV in this movie. But dang that song, because I'm a blonde. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, catchy. yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm a blonde, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really good song. What's the like, one? It's stupid, but it, that's the point. What's the one where she's like, I love him big and dumb or something like that? Or is that the same it's song? It's the same song, I think. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Well, I knew that she had a hit yeah. on MTV right before that. Um, like, uh, I'm the high school prom queen and I'm going to kill you all or something like that. I can't remember what it's called, but I remember it was, it was a minor cult hit. And that kind of got her noticed. That's, this, uh, that's disturbing. Yeah. Uh, Julie Brown prom queen. Sure. The, the night the prom queen went nuts or something like that. Oh, the homecoming queen's got a gun. Um, that was a big hit for her in 1986. I, I don't know how to respond to this. I'm very disturbed. Yeah. It's a parody of all those 50s, like, uh, high school songs that were, I guess, were popular back then. But this is back when MTV was still, like, reaching into whatever they could to get attention. You know, a, a novelty yeah. song could get... Uh, um, wow, there's a rewritten version of it called The Ex-Beauty Queen's Got a Gun Making Fun of Sarah Palin. <laughs> Let's look at that later. Yeah. Um, oh, I love... No, that was a different song. It's from 1983. It's called A Like I'm Big and Stupid. Oh. Well, maybe... Never mind. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I would say this movie's much better than Rockula. At least it knows exactly what it wants to be, even though, I, like I said, the patterns of how it flows is jarring. Um... It has a yeah. voice. It knows exactly what it wants. Whereas Rockula seems like it's part of a movie that was never completed and is filled in the holes. Yeah, you know, I think another part of what makes this movie more enjoyable is um, I don't know, like the quirky characters, even even the ones that were only on screen for like ten minutes total, like Michael McKean. Yeah. Uh, McKean is that how you say his name? Mm -hmm. Um, his. He he's just like he's not in very much, but man, he sure is fun. And you know, just like little stuff like that, and like you know, the Doctor Love guy. <laughs> yeah, um, Charles Rocket, the only man to be fired immediately on Saturday Night Live for saying the F word during Weekend Update. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, he thought they were off air and they were still on him, and he said the F word and got fired immediately. Um, did he have much of a career after that? That's the sad part is, yes, he did. He actually did very well. He's in Dumb and Dumber. He's the main villain in Dumb and Dumber. And he acted a lot around that time. But sadly, about 10 years ago, uh, he lost his battle with severe depression and killed himself. That sucks. Yeah, not to bring the episode down on a note like that. But yeah, he, he, uh, he took his own life. It's kind of strange so many comedians seem to do that. You know, which, okay, have you seen Jim Carrey lately? He seems like he's lost his mind and I'm a little worried. Um, I have, I, I saw a trailer for his, the documentary about, about Andy Kaufman and making Man on the Moon. I saw a trailer for that and I was like, thought he was super intense, but I didn't know if it was just like the subject matter and talking about how like playing that character almost took over his life and stuff. Like he, 
he lost himself to Andy Kaufman and kind of forgot who he was. But I, I see him now, and I was watching him. Uh, he was just on um, Norm McDonald Live and uh, mm-hmm. talking about – well, here's the thing. is Norm McDonald asked him about his – he goes, so uh, you've been really successful with certain types of me. He goes, no, 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 I have not been successful. There's no me. There's only my career. My career has been successful, not me. I am not here. Only my career is here. I'm like, what okay, are you talking weird. about? It's a little too existential. Yeah, and that, and it's, I can't tell if he's playing us, but you know, you can see it. You saw it back probably in Dumb and Dumber. There is a sadness in him that oh yeah, never seems to go away, and, and I wish he could find happiness and peace, and I don't know why he can't, uh, which obviously tells you money and success. I mean, the man was making $20, 25000000 million a movie for a while there. It doesn't bring happiness, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to see him okay. I don't want him ending up just like uh, Robin Williams. Right. I don't know. Don't you think that some of the funniest people out there are also some of the saddest people? Uh, well, why do you think I joke so much? Right. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that about you, but no, I. No, well, I, I shouldn't. No, I, I made that about me. I'm also narcissistic, apparently. <laughs> so I'm self-absorbed. Well, I just think that it's complicated. I mean, I think a lot of people overcompensate for their insecurities uh, by trying to make people laugh. I mean, I do that too all the time. Yeah. You know, I I hide behind that kind of stuff. People, let's just people do that. Some people can ask for help, but it's a really hard thing to do. Well, I think it's funny how some and people, just... it depends on your personality, I guess, is some people, um, they can't be happy. That's what I do. I, 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 know, I don't understand happiness. When I see people who are actually satisfied and happy, it confuses the hell out of me. It's completely mm-hmm. alien. But I want to make other people happy, so I joke around with them. If, if, if I'm, sometimes I find stuff I legitimately find funny, and I'm kind of laughing to myself. But then there's weird people who, like, they're broken and damaged inside, and they don't try to make other people happy or any sort of satisfactory thing. They tear apart. They, like, they yeah. build these huge worlds of, of lies and, and narcissistic behavior. So it's kind of strange how depression and uh, internal pain can come out in two different ways. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all how people, you know, choose to react to things because you can't control anything in your outside world. All you can do is control your response to it. Yeah. And, Sorry, and I, that got all psychological. No, no. Maybe but, we should but, well, it does have something to do with the movie, though, because you see this in the beginning. And this seems like when Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey were still fresh, they were happy. You know, you, you see the mm-hmm. excitement on the screen, and it, it's also funny because Damon Wayans, remember, he disappeared for like a decade. No one saw him for a while, and I, yeah. I don't know what that was about, if he decided to focus on family or it was depression from all those failures, you know, all those movies. Like, he did like four movies right in a row that all tanked and then just disappeared. Yeah. And then Jim Carrey, you know, as his movies were doing worse at the box office, you could kind of see his mental state starting to go. Well, I mean, how, how it's not an, an unreasonable reaction to disappointment. And he probably, you know, people people probably internalize that and it's like, this is all my fault. This is all me. You know what's funny is also if you look at the cast, this is might be one of the smartest casts I've ever seen put together. There doesn't seem like a dim bulb in the entire crowd. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, I can't talk all of a sudden. Uh, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum obviously had a severe connection. And of course... They're both known for being very intelligent people. Julie Brown has to have why some... Why did... What's that? Why'd you use the word severe? I don't even know what I... Why did I say... What I, what I say it in relation to? You said they have a... They had a severe connection. Oh, because they got married. You know, they were on the fly together, and they got married after that. And I think this is right in the middle of their relationship. I don't think they had gone their separate ways yet. 
The severe is a negative word. Is it? Isn't it? I don't know. A strong connection? Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay, um, my bad. Sorry. No, and then Michael McKean, of course, you know, he's pretty cerebral, and he's done excellent with his choices, I think. Uh, I just it's, it's amazing how they got so many intelligent people put together. Yeah, plus it's just, they're just so darn likable. And look, most of them are still, you know, uh, very busy now. Yeah. Well, I think about these movies I mean, that um, they still hold up today. There's a lot of, like different levels of comedy and everybody in it seems to be of high intelligence fish called wanda dirty rotten scoundrels uh three Ooh, amigos yeah. uh the wrong guy you know it's uh really well put together movies with people who understand acting filmmaking and uh, how comedy can change just from minute to minute yeah i really like the the different concepts of like how to Maybe it's not a concept, but just an approach to, like, delivering a line. Yeah. You know, there's, like, the, the subtle approach or the, like, over-the-top approach. You remember that um, movie that David Duchovny did? I think it was called, like, The Tea Set or oh. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember where that. they're making... I, I just, I remember, I remember the, like, nuances of, of line delivery and how, uh, you know, they the main character would just like started to overanalyze it so much that they were like sabotaging themselves <laughs> because because of the expectations and it was like you know it just it went from like really subtle delivery to just like kick you in the face you can't miss this over the top crap delivery uh it's just interesting I thought you were going to say Evolution, which is one of the biggest disappointments. Another alien comedy where you got a bunch of great, intelligent people together, including the director, and it just didn't work. Nope, you're right. I don't remember a thing about that movie except for, gosh, these are good actors. Why does this movie suck so bad? I know. <laughs> um, I, I guess there's not really much more to say. Hold on. Sorry about that. Uh, everybody, um, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. You'll find all our podcasts there. Um, out of the two choices, though, um, I think we're both in agreement that Earth Girls Are Easy is the one to check out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I don't believe we're going to have another December episode. Kind of, or I'm just kind of tired. Uh, so we'll hopefully be back in January uh, with some, I don't know, maybe we'll pick a new subject if we can't find any more musicals. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you then. Or just let us, you tell us what you want to hear about, I guess. That would be cool. True. That, that could be, we're very open to suggestions. Just go to the page and uh, message us there. Yes, I like input. What is this song again? I was going to end the show with the Julie Brown song, but I can't remember. Because I'm a blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good night. <laughs> I'm a terrible singer.